Good morning, church. In the summer of 2016, I had the amazing opportunity to take a mission trip through Encuentro to Puerto Rico. I was drumming for the Mount Vernon traveling worship team that summer, and our team got to lead worship each morning for all of the participants. Our housing throughout the trip was right on the beach. It wasn't high-end condo living or resort life, but it was still incredible to be literally right there. I even slept most nights on the balcony porch. It was actually Pastor Rachel Kuhn's balcony porch. Uh, my room faced the parking lot, and I wasn't interested in that. So I went and stayed with her family on their balcony because I wanted to be outside. I wanted to hear the waves come in and out as I fell asleep. It was a beautiful experience. One morning, our team decided for some weird reason to wake up crazy early to watch the sunrise from the sandy beach. Even though I got eaten up by some sand bugs, I don't know what kind they were, but I had bites everywhere. Um, but anyway, it was absolutely worth it seeing the sun slowly rise over that glistening water. Because we were up so early, I still had a couple hours to explore the beach before I had to get ready for sound check. So I decided to walk around, and I found this formation made out of dead coral that I naturally climbed. When I was doing this climb, one of my friends took this picture of me, and that's me at the top of it. The size, I can't figure out whether the photo truly does it justice or not, um, but it was huge, and... You know, I never thought I'd be showing the church a shirtless picture of me, um, but this one feels a little safe. I'm sorry if I offended anybody on this one, but that is me at the very top. Um, it was awesome. I don't know if it was just this time in the morning that we were there or if it was always like this, but this formation was absolutely covered in sea urchins and crabs. I'm going to say that doing that climb to the top wasn't necessarily the smartest decision, but it was a lot of fun. I never seen anything like it. The crabs were more scared of me than I was of them, so that was fine. I just had to be extremely careful not to step on the sea urchins. I was only wearing flip-flops, and like I said, they were everywhere. If you have a sense of adventure like me, though, climbing to the top wasn't simply enough for this morning. While standing over that edge and seeing the water come in, I decided being up here isn't good enough. I want to be down there. I want to be with the waves crashing against that rock. You, the beach was on the close side, so at standing at the top looking at the waves, like that was secluded. No one else could see me. I was hidden. There were people on this side of the beach, but on that other side of the rock... Man, it was just going to be me and Jesus and my new crab friends. It was going to be awesome. So I start making the, the journey down. It's a pretty rough terrain. I, I'm careful not to step on any urchins as I do this. But I finally make it to the base, and I just sit amongst the crashing waves. I don't know if there's a technical term for them or not, but there were these giant holes that when the waves would come in, the hole would fill with water, and then the waves would recede, so the water would go away, and the hole would completely empty, except for these crabs that would come out of smaller holes that lined it all the way up, 
And they would come in, they would grab whatever they could to eat, and then the wave would come back, the crabs would go back to their smaller holes, and so on and so forth. That process would repeat, and I just sat there just watching that happen time and time again because I was so fascinated by it. Being at that base was an experience that I will never forget for two reasons. One, it was absolutely gorgeous and secluded. Like I said, I just, it was amazing alone time. But secondly, I soon realized that the tide was shifting. I'm sitting at the base, realize I should probably get up and go, and when I turn around, the little ledge that I had traversed across was completely covered in water. It was like downtown New Philly yesterday. <laughs> Literally, the parking lot. When I walked home last night, the water was up to my knees. It, nuts. But okay, I'm at the base. What I just climbed across is covered in water. So I have two decisions I could make. I could either scale up, which was not going to happen, or I tried to sideways rock climb my way above the water. That was my only option. So I start this journey. And I had no idea when I started that climb how quickly the water was going to change. About three-fourths of the way through, the water starts hitting my ankles. Then it hits the back of my knees. Pretty soon, I'm getting hit in the hip, and I'm in trouble. A wave hits me so hard that it pulls me off of that dead coral that I was holding so tight to. My hands were ripped and bloody. I had a cut across my chest. But honestly, blood was the least of my worries in that moment. The wave pulled me with it, and as I went down and down and down into one of those holes that I had watched time and time again, seeing the crabs go up and down and so forth, but I was going down for what felt like an eternity. And as I was going down, I could see the sea urchins lining this hole that I was in. I even saw a crab staring at me. I have no idea what he was thinking, but he was watching this happen. And all I could think about was to cover my head. Because I know that if I get knocked unconscious, I'm drowning. There's, that's all there is to it. No one's going to get to me in time. So I covered my head, and then I knew the wave would come back. So when the wave came back, I kicked my legs as violently as I could. And then when it shot me forward, I grabbed onto that dead coral with my bloody hands with a death-tight grip, knowing that if I get pulled again, I don't know if... What's going to happen? It's too dangerous to try this adventure twice. I was able to latch on, and I made it back to safety as quickly as I possibly could, ignoring how much my feet hated this rough terrain. In that process, my flip-flops went flying off into the ocean. Someday you'll be at a beach someday, and you'll see them come up. You can, you can have them. It's fine. I don't need them back. But as I... As I walked back, I, I passed some people on the beach, and they just stared at me, hands bloodied, cut across my chest. My face was as white as a ghost. They had no idea what had happened. Before I could explain to anyone what exactly I just experienced, I just remember giving my sound guy a huge, bloody hug because I was so thankful to be alive by the grace of God. You know, water 
It's powerful. I got up that morning with the sole intention of just admiring its beauty. But the sights and sounds of it are not what made the lasting impact on me that morning. That was the feeling of being helplessly pulled off the rock, descending into a depth that was at least taller than me, and then being shot back up. That all taught me how powerful this everyday liquid substance truly is. Jesus' closest followers knew how powerful water could be. Peter, James, and John were fishermen, and they did that in a time before motorboats or radar or emergency rafts. They knew how dangerous it would be to be caught in a storm in the middle of a lake. And that's where we pick up our text this morning. So would you stand with me one more time for the hearing of God's word? We'll be out of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And here on the screens, I'll be reading through the New International Version. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. God, you're so good. We thank you for this morning. I thank you for this story that has been preserved for so long and that we get to dig into it. I thank you for the prayers that we have sung. God, may we hear the proclamation of your word and leave here today looking more like you than when we got here. We love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get to the walking on the water, some context is important. It was just a little bit ago that Jesus had tried to go and pray alone to his father. He had spent so much time ministering that he was just naturally tired and needed some time for spiritual rest and just to have a conversation with his dad. Just wanted some peace and quiet. His plan to be alone, though, didn't work because the crowds followed him. But even though they interrupted his plans, Jesus looks compassionately upon that crowd, and that's what leads to the feeding of the 5,000. How many parents can attest to having your quiet time infiltrated, no matter how hard you try? Jerry, that was a quick hand. (laughs) 
and good old-fashioned preacher. I see that hand, Eric. It's definitely a side note to the sermon, but if you are not practicing some kind of spiritual discipline of prayer and silence, I would highly encourage you to do so. Late night walks, drives, meals alone, they're all great opportunities to do this. Anyway, Jesus is going to make sure that this time he gets time for spiritual rest. So he sends his disciples out on a boat, and he waits behind on this side of the lake. A storm hits while the disciples are out to sea, and the boat is being thrown about the waves. The NIV uses the word buffeted to describe the waves, but this word can also be translated to mean the waves were tormenting or harassing or even torturing them. The same word is used to describe the disease of a centurion's servant that Jesus heals in another story. So the disciples are fighting for their lives while they're being tormented by the storm. And in the dead of night, lightning cracks. And one of them sees something. Not long after that, another flash of lightning lights up the sky, and that thing is getting closer. I personally love that they think it was a ghost. And I would love to ask Matthew why of all of the details to include, he thinks that's part of the story that really should be in here. But here they have a decision to make. Do they deal with the ghost or accept their fate with the storm? I don't know. But Matthew says Jesus immediately calls out to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. They might have missed the significance of this statement given the stormy and ghostly circumstances. But what Jesus said here is actually theologically vital to the story. His it is I is ego eimi, which is better said as I am. Back in the Old Testament, when Moses was talking to God out of the burning bush, and Moses asked God to identify God's self, he responds with, I am. This detail would not have been missed by the original Jewish audience of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is calling out to them, take courage, don't be afraid. I am the God who created this world, who split the seas and led your ancestors to safety and freedom. Yeah, he's right here with you. Lord, if it's you, Peter replies, tell me to come out to the water with you. You know, Peter must have skipped synagogue the day they were talking about not testing God. But Jesus lets this happen. After hearing Jesus' call to come, Peter looks down at the water. Has anyone else ever gotten to the top of a high dive and then looked down and your legs become wobbly but everything else is frozen? How about cliff jumping? I've done that more than I should admit to online, so sorry online viewers. But who has cliff jumped and, and as soon as you get to the top... What in the world did I get myself into? I can only imagine that Peter had the same kind of thought as he's looking at the stormy sea. Remember, he is still being shaken. The storm hasn't stopped yet. This boat is being harassed by the waves. Maybe he's thinking he shouldn't have actually asked to come out on the water. You know, Jesus, on second thought, how about you just come closer? You know, if I see your beard, I'll know that it's you. I don't need to actually come to you. But out of this frozen fear and doubt, 
Peter does something that I think, honestly, very few of us would actually do. You know, he takes that step. And instead of falling straight through onto the waves, Peter's on top of it. Until now, walking on water had been reserved for God alone. You know, at Christmas and Easter time, we often talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. But we rarely talk about how this story connects to that. Did you know that God walking on water is mentioned several times in the Old Testament? Job 9.8 says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Your path led through the sea, according to Psalm 77.19. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Habakkuk 3.15, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning out the great waters. I know the kids aren't in here, but that reminds me of Frozen 2. And there are many other examples, too. You know, this divine ability to walk on something that which was not created to be walked on shows a dominance over the created world. You know, if God created water, why can't he change the properties of it? While it's debated, many scholars agree that it was commonly accepted in the ancient times that deep waters were where chaos resided. We see this throughout all kinds of ancient texts, where the chaos of the waters is in competition with the orderly powers of the universe. Whether you're reading the Epic of Gilgamesh, Buddhist texts, or the Old Testament, only the divine could perform the feat of walking on water. It was something totally reserved for a power not of this world. You know, when you and I think about walking on water, we think about how it defies the law of gravity. But the ancient biblical minds, when they heard about someone who could walk on water, they viewed that person as someone who could tame or overcome chaos. Well, why does this matter? Well, we may not believe today that the essence of Lake Erie wants to destroy the world, but we still live in a chaotic world, don't we? Sin is rampant. Relationships are broken. Systems have been created and maintained to oppress the other. We never know what the next minute or next day is going to hold. In our chaotic world, Jesus' claim to be the I am seems hollow, meaningless, and false. We can't explain why the I am didn't stop this or that or why sin hasn't totally been eradicated yet. You know, when Peter was still in the boat, he knew that Jesus had been left there back on the beach. Just as many people today believe that Jesus was just left back there in history. You know, someone who walked this earth, even walked on water 2,000 years ago, can't have a relationship with each and every one of us. But in both of those cases, in the beach and history, Jesus does the impossible, and he comes to us time and time again. And when he reappears, walking in our chaos, church, that is good news. If it could possibly be true, 
So I think it's easy to resonate with Peter who wants to test Jesus here to see if Jesus truly is who he says he is. Yes, Peter gets distracted and starts to sink, but Jesus saves him. And let's not be too quickly or be too quick to dismiss that Peter actually took that step and Peter actually walked on water. I pictured Peter looking back on his life when he knows that he's going to be crucified very soon. And I wonder if he just looks back at this moment and just thinks, my feet were planted firmly on water. My faith was strong on that foundation which had no substance. You know, Peter wasn't supposed to be able to take that kind of step. He wasn't supposed to have a firm foundation with planted feet firm on those stormy waves. He wasn't supposed to be able to walk in the midst of a storm. But he found firm footing even amongst waves because his eyes were fixed on Jesus. What appears to have no foundation or standing to the world is firm and empowering in the eyes of God. As far as I know, no one else has legitimately walked on water since Jesus and Peter got into that boat. But, and thank you, Jackson, I know that every single one of us has faced a splash of chaos. Every one of us, maybe not Jackson, but everybody else here, has had a bad test score. They've had a breakup. They've had heartache, they've lost a pet, they've lost a loved one. But you know, sometimes those splashes aren't splashes at all, are they? Sometimes they're a little bit bigger. (laughs) They might be traumatic like a big burst of water. Or they might just be a constant stream that we feel like we can never get away from. They might be a big heartache. They might just be a constant irritation. That's, there we go. Something that is, is just a thorn in your flesh that you barely feel, but it happens every single day and you're so sick and tired of it. It's just that little chaos of life. And then there's other times when life hits you like the waters that hit me on the rock, and it completely knocks you off your feet as you're getting super soakered in the back, (laughs) just trying to find your grounding. We never know what's going to happen. You might not realize it at first. But in this state, let's go back to the getting knocked off your feet. In that state of being pulled down and down and down, and you feel like you're totally defeated, and you're just waiting for that moment to come shooting you back up, but you just feel like that's never going to happen. It's in that moment that you can cry out as Peter did and say, Lord, save me. You'll soon see that Jesus is already standing there, with his arms wide open, 
He's saying, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Jesus is going to be right there. The storm might not end immediately, but you won't be alone in your drenched and cold state. I'll let you drench me later. (laughs) Because Jesus is walking alongside you, and you know, he's just as wet as you are. He's going through this with you. And that's where I feel like a traditional reading of this story sometimes falls short. The moral of this story is not to conjure up enough faith that you can walk over every single one of your problems. Because if you could do that, it's dangerous to say that you can conjure up enough faith that your cancer or your aging or just all of your problems are just going to go away because that's simply not how this works. The call to believe for this story is to believe that Jesus is with you with the community of faith, as we make our way through the storm, even if we are battered by the waves. Thank you, Jackson. We've got towels right there. I could be ending the sermon here. I've talked about how Christ is with us in the midst of chaos. We will still likely be battered from life, but we have the loving creator walking alongside us, keeping our feet firmly planted. Many of you here today might simply need the reminder that Christ is with you. And to you, I want to repeat Christ's words one more time. Take courage. Jesus, the I am, is with you. Don't be afraid. Some of you simply need that reminder. But if you aren't necessarily in that state, just let me go one step further because just wait, there's more. That's not the whole of the gospel message. Don't forget what started the story in the first place. Jesus sent his disciples on a boat to cross the sea. So will you finish the punchline for me? Why did the disciples cross the lake? Yes, it's the same answer as the chicken. Everybody. Why did the disciples cross the lake? Yes. The whole mission was to go to a place where the message of Jesus had not been proclaimed yet. By sending his disciples to do this kind of teaching, by allowing them to serve the meal that fed the 5,000, by allowing Peter to walk on the stormy seas with Jesus, Jesus is inviting the disciples to participate in the divine mission of the I Am to bring about healing and restoration to the entire world. We are going to get wet. We are going to be battered and tortured and harassed in many ways, but Jesus is with us, and somebody else needs to hear that message. We, the church, must continue today to live out this mission walking through the chaos of life so that others will know that the Emmanuel is present and in the midst of, his, in the midst of it all, his arms are, are widespread, ready to save. You have been divinely called and ordained to be the one to take this message, this message of hope of an ever-present Savior to your community. 
God has that purpose for you. Don't miss out just because there is chaos around you because there will always be. There will never be a better time to do that message. But in the midst of all of this, there's a drenched savior right alongside you, ready to take that step and empower you each way. Would you stand and pray with me?